My name is Barrister Ragusa, and this is the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. All right. Brian Phillips. Yes, sir. How you doing? Good. How you doing, Bear? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for coming on. I was excited about this one. I was a bunch of reasons I was excited about this. I wanted to talk to you about beagles. Absolutely. And I was also excited that you could do it on a weekend where uh, most of these I end up doing after people are done working on a weeknight, which um, would be fine if I lived in the States. But being over here, it's about a seven hour time difference from where you're at right now, or I guess it's about six from where you're at. But some of these Midwest guys, it gets uh, brutally late. So I'm excited about this. I can The sun's still up. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I bet I, I had to Google that to see the timing on it. So, yeah, glad it worked. No, out. it's um, it worked. This works out fantastically. So, yeah, let's uh, let's jump right in. You are a a beagle man from your toes to the top of your head. <laughs> right, right, right. Thanks for having me on. Uh, oh, glad absolutely. to talk beagles. You know, all the time. Uh, try to be as big of an ambassador as we can. Uh, we like the little hounds, so yeah. I guess I I've been doing it for I'm 36, so I think I got my first beagle when I was 19. Okay, yeah, interesting. Was so, it something that your family had done up until that uh, previously, or was it something you picked up just totally on your own? Totally on my own, not from a hunting family. Um, in high school, had some friends that we did small game hunting with. So, and it wasn't with dogs; it was just just with. Uh, you know, walk in the woods, kick and brush, stuff like that. Right. Um, but right. cool. But when I got in college, I um, I I, I wanted a dog, and I, I like kind of the animal husbandry side of things. You know, produce it. You know, breeding and producing something that you you, you know has a purpose. And uh, was trying to settle between a short hair and a beagle. And here here in Pennsylvania, we don't have much of a wild bird population. Yeah. So. Uh, a lady at work hooked me up with a a breeder that uh, and I had some beagle puppies. So that's oh, how cool. I got my first dog. That's excellent. That's excellent. Sorry, this guy was running around on the floor oh, making saw. making a bunch of bunch of noise. I've got for the people who can't see, I had to pick Mike the beagle pup up off the floor because he was making too much background noise. <laughs> so we'll see see if this works. Stop it. But that's really interesting. So you had you had the beagles through through college, right? Right. I um lived at home and I'd commuted to college and I, I, w- I worked night shifts. So it yeah. kind of worked out. Like I did college part-time for a little bit and then full-time off, you know, throughout getting my degree, but I had a lot of time during the day. Okay. Yep. And what is and your degree in? Uh, business marketing, but I'm in, I ended up in finance accounting. So, okay. Yeah. I've been gotcha. in that for about 20 years. So gotcha. That's a lot. That's uh that's an unusual thing. Um, staying in the dogs throughout college right, right. you know because we i did the same thing i i got into dogs when i was i'm 36 as well and i got into dogs when i was 10 the sled okay. dogs and i i brought the team with me to college oh wow um i had about a six months where i didn't have them with me and um was commuting back and forth about two and a half hours or not, not that much. I guess about two hours if I sped a little bit. Okay. Um, to get home to run them, and it just it was getting it was wearing me out between classes and that. It was just I was I was losing steam. So, 
ended up bringing them with me to college and brought those same dogs with me to Norway when I moved. So that's a, it's an unusual, unusual thing. A lot of the guys I talk to, you know, they get, they get to the point where they, they, uh, want to sow their wild oats a little bit, um, and take a break from, from the hounds, you know? Right, right. It was, it definitely, not that I was in trouble, but it definitely kept me away from any type of trouble because I, many a nights I knew I, I needed to be up to beat the heat at like 5 a.m. So I was, you know, I was in bed by 10. I didn't stay out. <laughs> so, That's right. It's, right. uh, it, it keeps you on the straight and narrow. And I say that about, the, I know they say that about kids, but, uh, definitely worked for me too. Cause I didn't have, uh, Gosh, I didn't have the time, the money. I didn't have any, any reason to be going out on, town, on the town. <laughs> right, right. You know, the gals that were out at the bars drinking were not necessarily the gals I was interested in. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's cool. So you, when you got into it, did you get right into it like full blast with a couple of, with a couple of them? Or did you start with one? How, talk, walk me a little bit through how you got into like the process of getting into the Beagles for you. Okay, I started that that first one. It was just kind of on a whim, zero research, zero anything. Didn't know bloodlines, didn't know registries, anything like that. So I mm-hmm. I got what we call grade dog. I mean, she was full blood beagle out of hunting stock. She was not AKC registered. I run all AKC dogs now. Okay. Um, but uh, I was really green, right? I didn't know what to expect. So I remember we had a little bit of a swamp in our backyard that was kind of nice for running dogs. And, uh, you know, I just took that puppy on walks, kicking brush piles. And honestly, I was so green. I didn't know they really, I thought it was all slate chasing. (laughs) So, you know, that's how much thought I put into it. And I'll never forget the day when, you know, I, she's probably five, six months old. And then we saw that, you know, kick the pile, brush pile and rabbit shot out. And she chased it, but then at the end of chasing it, she dropped her nose and gave some voice. And I thought, yeah. oh my gosh, I have the best dog in the world. I didn't even know <laughs> they could do this. You know what I mean? But uh, right, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, what made that, you choose beagles over over some of these other breeds? Like what versus you know a coonhound or something like that? It, really, it didn't even the coonhounds weren't even on my radar. Sure. Um, uh, but the bird dogs were, you know, just you know, look, reading in field and stream and stuff like that. And sure. yeah, the beagle, yeah, right, right. So the beagle just was happenstance with the lady at work um, who introduced me to them. So, okay. And, and it really lined up with PA covers. So we have yeah. a ton of game lands, state lands mm-hmm. in PA. So you can make a rabbit dog off a wild game, you know, like you can get right. them on plenty of rabbits. Whereas right. the bird. You don't need to the, go to the, the pens and stuff, right? Yeah. Right, right. You, you, and I, I am a member of like Carlisle Beagle Club, and that's good for pups and getting started and we in training. But like, we have a limited grouse population up north. You know, it involved traveling for the bird dogs and stuff like that. Now, fast mm-hmm. forward fifteen years, I have a bird dog too. You know, of course. But, oh, cool. What, <laughs> but, do you uh, have a, what kind of bird dog do you have? A field bred Springer. Okay, cool. Yeah, Spanish. Flushing dog. And it's, I got her because it's a lot of the same cover that I rabbit hunt with, you know, Mm -hmm. it's brushy blocks so that she tears the brush up and it's a good crossover change of pace type stuff. Do you ever run them together? Like have her flush and the beagles take over? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I I do most of my running is just pleasure running, you know, I'm not carrying a gun or anything, but, uh, Mm -hmm. 
I start many a pups by holding those pups and sending her in the brush piles and keeping their head focused on a lane. <laughs> and she'll, you know, and she'll even give a little yip, you know, the bird dog will, you know, when it's the track's hot enough. So sure. yeah. kind of got cool. a little warning. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. What, um, when you first got, so your first pup, did you get just the one pup from that litter or did you, that first grade female? Yeah, that, that was the first pup that I got from that litter. It was the only pup I got from that litter. And of, okay. of course, I ran. How long was it until you got the second, like uh, until you started to build your own kennel? She was, so to speak. I probably introduced the next dog. Uh, it was about six months later, so it didn't take long. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and she was a pup, so it took a little longer for her. You know, it was probably 10, 11 months before she was running with a brace mate. But at that time, that put a little more thought into it. And, you know, I'm like, uh, once I go in all in on something, I have to do all the research. And sure. I, I was looking at pedigrees that I didn't know what dogs were in that pe- pedigree. But, uh, right. you know, just the internet's pretty powerful. And I ended up settling on a young female out of a, a national champion. It was a grandsire to that national champion. Went down mm-hmm. to West Virginia, brought her home. And um, that's probably what really set the hook with the capabilities of what a beagle could really do. Now that great dog was great. You know, she was, she had a different set of tools. She, but the, the style of this dog that that I call her, her name was Daisy. Mm -hmm. And we had her till she was 12. She was, she started at four months old circling her own rabbit. She was, had really good line control, proper use of mouth, jump dog. She, she checked a lot of boxes. She wasn't the fastest dog. But uh, right. she she definitely accounted for her game, and that's kind of the standard or what I've built the blueprint of the dog that I'm kind of looking for, uh, you know, off of her. Sure, yeah. And those dogs, I think everybody, when they're long in it long enough, has has that dog where you it, it just becomes the blueprint for everything you're going for. You know, I had a I had a dog like that named Blomon. Um, okay, was a dog was a lead dog that I just I brought I got him when he was old. And I got him because he wasn't running really that well for the people who had him. Um, and it just ended up being this just a respect thing for him that he didn't okay. really feel like he needed to run. Um, and then we got, I got him and we just clicked totally. And it just showed me what a good dog had the potential to be. And you know, once, once that happens, you just, you're not really willing to settle for anything less. Right. It sounds right. like Daisy was that kind of dog for you. For, for, for sure. Right. So she kind of turns into that measuring stick mm. and, um, we've, you know, introduced dogs, you know, after that and, um, all of them have their good qualities. Daisy mm-hmm. wasn't a front end dog, but, but she was, she'd love to run the slot. And if yeah. once those dogs ran a little over, she had the brains just on a dime, you know, we call it snapping necks. You know, they're the, all the other dogs are trying to hark back to the pat, you know, the line because she's right. off going. She'll get to the front, but it's not by pushing. Right. You know, it it's was by it was doing the work. Yeah. Staying on the line. Yeah. Cool. Right. I love dogs right. like that. Oh man. Yeah. Did you did you base some of the bre- your future breedings off of Daisy? Was she a dog that you bred to after? I, I tried, you know, and being young and in the you know, the early years of my breeding career not or my beagling, you know, world getting started, I should have, I started breeding her too late. So I didn't have her first litter till she was about four or five. 
Um, okay. And we got solid dogs out of her. We didn't get any, she didn't produce better than what she was though. And that could have been a number of reasons. Could have been the sire I selected. She was kind mm -hmm. of a little bit of an outcross on both sides. So maybe that, that, that played into it. Um, there right. was a female out of Daisy that there's some dogs running around that have finished out of that dog. So I, the producing gene was there, but mm -hmm. I probably should have hang on to one or two, but seeing being so new and young in the game, you know, I was kind of, kind of ignorant to, you uh, know, that, that at the time. Sure. Yeah. I understand that. So what, what does your kennel look like now? Like what, as you move, sort of move forward from that Daisy dog, what, uh, where did you go from there and where, where did, it, where did it take you ultimately? Uh, really led me to the, I joined the Carlisle Beagle Club and it's a, you know, there's tons of Beagle Clubs in the United States and then specifically in, in Pennsylvania, we have clubs, I think there's Everywhere. 50, maybe a hundred clubs, right? right? Yeah. And, and I, like, for example, a Beagle Club, I don't know if for the audience, the, the, you know, the, some are, are in the wild. All of them are based on wild game, but we have pens. We have a 40 acre pen mm -hmm. and a, a 20 acre pen and we have field trials in those pens and, and everything. And, uh, it, it's, it's all wild game. So it's, we try to stimulate as much of a natural experience as possible. But a lot of mm -hmm. men, met, met a lot of mentors there. And uh, one of my mentors got me onto some of his bloodline. Yep. And so I kind of based a lot of my kennel off of his lines that, that sure. he has. So his. What, his um, go ahead, sorry. Yep. Yeah, it, it's uh, Donald Dobbs. He has chop tank kennels and he's been ha had a successful line of dogs for several years, focusing on a couple different strains. Which actually kind of tie into some of Daisy's bloodlines that I had, bits and pieces mm -hmm. through outcrosses that he's done. So mm -hmm. I've really based a lot of it on that, those, those kennels. And then um, another one of my mentors, Mark Malloy, brought some dogs from down south up called, they go back to Black Creek breeding. And okay. so we have kind of a mix of those bloodlines in our kennels today. I primarily run females. Just yeah, I was going to ask easier. about. I was going to ask about that. A lot of people, um, in fact, most of the people I've talked to so far, have said that. Okay. That they prefer. And it's just females. easier. It is for, easier. If you're, oh yeah, because you don't have to worry about as much of heat cycles and things like that with males being around. Um, if you're trialing, you know, we have four classes. Right. So you have 13 inch females, 15 inch females, and same for the males. So if you're driving the whole way to a trial, it's nice to have them all in one class and it's on the same day and sure sure what are you what are you running are you running 15 or 13 i have a mix of 13 and 15 so i'm trying to get size into my dogs right now okay you're trying to get them to be a little bigger right right just i think they hold up a little better i can show there'll be examples of some that one-offs that are 13 inch that you know mm -hmm. have just as much stamina but i think on average you know what i see and i think just even from a breeding perspective, I had a C-section a couple of years ago on a smaller female, you know, I think sure. it just, I think that that's kind of what I'm working towards. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's, um, I find that kind of thing so hard to predict, you know, especially like with the Huskies and, you know, with the, the hounds I've had where, you know, I've seen, I've seen some big females really struggle when it was time to, to pup. And then okay. like this, this beagle pup I've got now, his mom is, 
maybe 11 inches, maybe. Okay. And she had 10. 10, without wow. Without any problems. Like, they See, didn't even need formula. It's just that, like, it's impossible. It's impossible to gauge. I mean, the, the male she was bred to is a really nice male, but is, you know, closer to 15. You know, much much bigger than she was so i was like uh, okay. a little bit nervous especially when we took the pictures because i work at the vet hospital that where we you know took the x-rays to see how many pups she had and you know when we got that total number it was like Oof, i hope this i hope this works out and she did amazing wow that's that's great you know i've heard have you know friends recently here you know full 15 inch female needed a c-section you know or then i've had friends that you have the 11 incher that has no problem so <laughs> yeah it's okay. it's a it's a hard thing to predict for sure hmm. so but i want to talk to you a little bit about this trialing because that's something that we don't do a lot of here okay and certainly not in the way that you guys do it over there where you know you may have multiple dogs on the ground at the same time you know here in a trial in a trial situation they will only do at this point they'll only do single dogs to my to my knowledge, I'll put a little bit of a, a qualifier in there, to my knowledge. Okay. Um, because, yeah, the, you know, they, they, there's some hair trials here, and then there's some roe deer trials here. So you can get what, what's called, like, the hunting champion status or certificate, where uh, my understanding of it is that you start with a total number of points, and then every mistake that you, your dog makes, you get points, you know, subtracted from it. Um, I've never been to one of of those. I've been to a couple of fox trials before with foxhounds, but never, you know, never a beagle trial. So I'm I'm really interested in how you guys do it over there. Can you? It sounds like you've done quite a bit of that. Can you walk me through what what is a trial? How, how does it work? How does how is it done? How many dogs are you on the ground? You know, some of some of these videos I see, it seems like there's a hundred dogs streaming by. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, right. it's hard to see. Yeah, I can speak. Uh, uh, I I run primarily AKC American Kennel Club trials, license mm -hmm. trials, and there's the format we run in is small pack option. So okay. our our packs can range anywhere from you know four to nine dogs in a winner's pack. So if you have you know if you have a class of 15, 13 inch females, that's fifteen mm -hmm. dogs. You might run first series. You would run. You would split them up in three packs of five, uh, you know, three, th mm -hmm. uh, and then go from there. The judges would evaluate them in those packs and it's not points based or anything like that. We go off a rule book and, and published by the American Kennel Club and put together by kind of like the forefathers of, and it's tried to stimulate hunting situations. So I think the basis is your, the dogs are to run with the intent to overtake their game, but it's subjective in that you need to have control and accountability as well. So you don't want sure. a dog that's con constantly take, you know, we're losing contact with the line or, you know, excessive mouth, you know, running off game of, of you know, deer, for example. So there is several scenarios right. that go into it. Right. That that's interesting. That's interesting. What, how does the point system work in a trial like that? So the trial itself, there's, there's no point system. It's just uh, two judges that go out with the packs and then they would mm -hmm. pick, you know, if there's that first series is they would choose the top dogs out of each pack. 
And in that case, okay. they would either come back with a second series where they would roll out, you know, another additional packs, depending on the amount of dogs they bring back. So the winner's pack, what you're ultimately trying to get to has to be nine dogs or less. So if they have seven dogs left out of that first series, they would come back with a winner's pack of seven dogs. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you go to the field with that. And, sure. th- and that's where you, you're just, you're just slowly eliminating dogs as you work through that winner's pack. So you could run it down to as many, you could run it down to a brace if you, if you wanted to, to find that the top dog, you know, some trials end like that. Some don't, some will end with, you know, four or five dogs on the ground. And it's the first through fifth, um, are placing hounds. Actually it's first through fourth, get actual points then for their AKC title. Then the fifth hound is your MBQ or next best qualifier that okay. makes the bench. And if you, in the AKC format to become a field champion, you need to have three wins and 120 points. So if that first place dog, that one, it's a class of 15, that dog gets 15 points towards its title. If it's second place, you just, you know, divide by two, third place, divide by three and so on. Sure. Yep. 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 That's the small pack option for pat format. Now the, large pack format probably which you probably saw where they released uh, many hounds at once you know mm-hmm. i think they just cast them all at once but i you know i don't know enough to uh, speak on their behalf but that's that we refer to as the large pack format in the akc right. and then there's the brace format as well which we dabble in that a little bit but they'll run braces or trios so if you have those you know if you have 16 dogs they run uh eight braces of two you know and then just work their way through the dogs like that Sure. Yep. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Wow. How often, I mean, that's a, you know, if, if that's going to be a lot of trials to get the dog, that sort of champion status. Well, it depends on entries. So for example, we finished our first field champion last year. Yep. Uh, her name's Sadie and uh, she won a class of 50 at one weekend. So that helped a lot, you know, so you, you get a win like that, that'll really help to get you there. But if you have small entries, you could be chasing some trials for a couple of years to get a dog finished. You know, it's not an easy feat to finish a dog, you know, either you have, there's a lot of scenarios and environmental things and everything that goes into, to effect there. Right. Is the emphasis in, in trials like that is the, is the emphasis on speed? Or is the emphasis on like the like the Daisy dog you were talking about, who was, or I guess it was the gray dog you were talking. Da- so Daisy was the gray like, dog, yeah, the one that was really really um, solid on the line. Yeah, so that that's where it's kind of subjective, and you have to go watch a lot of dogs run, and you have to get familiar with what judges are looking for, what type okay. of dog. Yeah. But yep. what I've what I've learned, you know, I've judged a lot of trials, and I think you know I just judged a trial on Friday, and the one thing I've learned being a judge is you know it it changes by the day conditions play a a bit in it but uh basically there's more than one way to run a rabbit sure so i mean that's why i was asking yeah yeah it's such a you know it it's so fascinating talking to different houndsmen you know just uh, even just the the people that i tend to run with you know we've got kind of four four or five guys that will occasionally get together and run fox and okay. we all, I don't think we would pay a dollar 
for each other's dogs. Like bottom line, <laughs> like, you know, what I'm looking for is totally different from what they're looking for. And, you know, we all get the job done to a degree, but it's, it's just going to be a totally different animal, you know, right. that each of us is looking for. And that's got to be really, you know, and that makes it really complicated when, you know, you kind of almost can see by the time you've shown up and see who's going to be the judge, you, it's like, okay, well, this is not yeah. going to go my way just because he's <laughs> judging. That's got to be tough. Right, right. And I have, you know, I'm friends with and I have mentors that have completely different views than myself, you know, and both of them can circle a rabbit, you know, it's just how you want right. to do it. And, um, but, but pr primarily, you know, we're all looking for a dog that can like, it gets back to that run with the intent to overtake game, but mm -hmm. with base, basically you want to, I don't know, we want it to run as fast as it can when it can, but mm -hmm. walk it when it has to, you know, sure. and, and it's conditions based here in the summer. It's hot. You know, we, we try, we don't have as many trials just due to that, but you know, a 70 degree day versus a 30 degree day. Right. It's you know, gonna it's going to change. Yeah. It's going to have a big effect on the field. Sure. Right. And there's days where scent's so high, you know, like my Daisy dog, she'd sit on the back of the pack and wouldn't get enough done, you know, because she's wait, she's going to be that cut dog and she, you know, she's a beatable type dog, but then there's days where you'd have to really grind. And, uh, that's where she, you know, she won a few trials that way. Sure. Yeah. Cool. I love stuff like that. The sort of nuances to the whole thing is, is, oh, yeah. is really fascinating to me. Yeah. It, 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 I really try. It's easy to get focused on a style, but I try to take step back from that now. And you, I kind of respect, you know, the different aspects of, you know, dog's qualities and it, you know, sure. there's more than one way to get it done With, within reason. You still have to have like myself, I enjoy running a pack on the weekends and uh they all have to be a similar type speed at least you know to just for continuity sure absolutely yeah that makes that makes all kinds of sense you know how many how many do you have at this point i only i have five running dogs and i have two pups right now okay and they're, they're all kind of a, a difference sure when you go to a trial are you trying to get all of them out as many out as you can or is it kind of a one dog per trial type of a deal yeah, it de depends on your situation. Like right now, it, I, I could probably handle one to two dogs right now, just to give them the, the right time that they need. So mm -hmm. like different guys and girls have different methods, but like we do a lot of soloing to really make a dog run right for us. So you want that dog kind of as independent as possible. Sure. But it has to, you know, run with the pack. But when it comes to a check... And I don't know, are you familiar with like some people, I guess I hear in the coon dog world, they call it a loss or something like that, but we call a check, you know, when they yep. overrun the line, they come back sure. and call that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Their check work that, you know, they really tighten up by soloing them. So that's where like the training mm -hmm. aspect comes in, what dog needs what. So if I have a real hard going dog, you know, it's nice where I'd have another dog in the kennel. That's kind of like Daisy that would sit on there, sit on the back and cut them so that'll that'll tighten them up they only they'll get smart if they have brains you know they'll learn that you know they'll figure that dog out and that's that's how you can kind of tweak a dog and that's what's fun about trialing is just you know getting the potential out of them right yeah that it sounds really interesting it's not something i've ever considered doing until myself until i got this this mike dog and you know i've, I've got a lot of hurdles that i need to get past before i even consider you know, really consider entering him in anything, you know, because part of the, 
you know, part of what I'm going to struggle with, I think, you know, again, um, I'm kind of comparing this to other hounds that I've had, but is, you know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of hair here. Okay. But the hair, you know, they're not gonna, they're not going to go into the, the blowdowns. They're not going to go into the piles of brushes. You know, it's, it's harder to localize them than it is if, you know, if I went down to Sweden and ran, you know, cottontails. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit curious how that's going to be getting him started on something like hair without, without an already started dog to start to kind of get him moving in the right direction. I'm a little curious about that. You know, with the, the foxes, it's pretty easy because you can just put out bait and then start from a bait site where you know that they're there, you know, and, um, the, the hairs, it's, it's a little bit of a different deal. Um, which it's it's a puzzle I haven't quite cracked yet. I'm not sure how yeah. to do that. Yeah, that, that's interesting because you know I've never ran a hair. However, we you know we have hair in northern PA, but it, the season doesn't line up with the, the accounting schedule that I've lived on. You know, okay. with year end yeah. because it's right around Christmas, New Year's. But I keep saying, and my son's getting a little older. Uh, he's about 13 now, and uh, we're gonna one of these years. We're going to make a trip up to Maine. A lot of my friends go up to Maine for a week for hair camp sure. and the dogs yeah. cross over, you know, they do it every year and they, they adjust pretty quickly over to the hair. Yeah, for sure. I'm from, that's where I'm from. Right. Yeah. I thought I remember yeah, that. Born, born and raised there. Where, where do they tend to like, if you're going somewhere in Maine, where should you go? I don't know specifically around towns, but it's about the timberlands that they go on that are, yeah. I guess there's clear cuts and it's a lot of the same sounds like the same cover they're using for grouse too. Yep. Uh, there's some crossover there between the hair and the grouse cover. So there's a bunch, the, okay. the, the hair and the roughed grouse. It's, it's not uncommon to see them in the same places. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as starting dogs bear, like I personally, a lot of us, we just start, we don't take them out with an older dog mm-hmm. at least to start. Uh, like I just walked pups. I finally got one pup started last night. She was eight week, eight months old. She's from our last litter. We kept two females. She's out of that Sadie dog that we finished last mm-hmm. year. And, um, you know, we're fortunate. I can let them go in the backyard if I see a rabbit sitting out. Sure. And I've probably gave these puppies between my son and I, and we probably gave them 30 slate chases, you know, and they just, oh, wow. you put them down and they just want to run circles and jump up your leg, you know? And it's just right. like one of these days that light bulb's going to click. Uh, so last night took them down to the club right before dusk. And we got a, we have a good population of rabbits in there and took six or seven rabbits. And for some reason that light bulb clicked and, you know, off cool. she went. That's so, awesome. That's, yeah. That's so gratifying when that, that light bulb moment, that yeah, aha right. moment with those pups is just, that's the best thing about it. One of the best things about running, you know, working with dogs is just that, that moment where they're like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing. Right. It, it never gets yeah. old, right? It never gets old. It really doesn't. But if you were in my shoes, what would, how would you approach, um, you know, how would you approach getting a, starting a beagle if you ended up here, you know? with just running the hairs. No, there's no pens here. I mean, there's no, you know, you right. can, there's, there's no beagling clubs. There's no, there, you know, there's no place that I can go that I'm aware of. I haven't found it yet. Put it that way. Um, where I can go and get them started in a pen where I know that there's hair within, you know, a few hundred you know yards of me. 
um, you know, because like where I am now, I, I know vaguely where I'm going to be able to find them um, based on, you know, based on the tracks uh, during the winter time. And I've kind of been trying to keep track of it. But at the same time, I never see them. You know, it's, it's one okay. of those things where they're there. It's just I never I never see them. OK, OK, you know. Right. I, I would just get them in the woods. I'm sure you're probably already doing that. Mm. But I've started my last litter. We started last year. They started on their second rabbit first time out, you know, and, oh, wow. and it was just it was I have video of, the. you know, it was just kind of crazy. Like that was a one off, you know, but that was just we have 12 acres here at our house and I have paths cut through it. Mm hmm. So they get used to the woods, you know, like a lot, you know, getting them used to the woods at a young age. So they helps get that play out of them, sure. you know, and it helps like that. Those pups last night, I played with them in the yard out here for about an hour or two to get them, get that play out of them. And then I took yep. them to the, you know, that out to get them on some rabbits. And then they were more focused at that point. So that focus is a big, big part of it, especially when they're younger. Sure. And I'm not... I, d I never get in a hurry anymore to get them started because I've had them start at four or five months old, mm -hmm. you know, and that dog that starts at nine, 10 months old is just as good or better. I, I, to me, I don't see a correlation there. You know, it's more on the bloodline and things like that, that, sure. it, you know, those are precursors to how they're going to turn out. Absolutely. I, and I, that's something that's always been, been really interesting to me in, in the dog world is that, you know, I, I, I have experienced the same, um, that I have seen no correlation between when the dog started and how good it eventually became, you know, my two best dogs ever, you know, the one didn't start leading until he was four. Okay. He was a good sled dog. I mean, he was a good team dog, but did not do the, didn't do the work in lead until he was about four. And, you know, my, the other one that was right up there was, you know, leading before he was a year old, you know? Wow. Um, and you know, it's the same with the hounds, you know, I've, I've had, you know, Vidby wasn't started when I got her. My, my American Foxhound wasn't started when I got her and she was a year and a half at that point. And, you know, I had no, I had no real issues getting her started. There were, there were some issues that I needed to overcome to get to the point where I could start starting her. But once I'd gotten there, you know, it was not hard to get her rolling. Yep. Um, you know, and then this buzz dog was, you know, he was, uh, he was, gosh, how old was he? It doesn't really matter. I'm sure he was eight or nine months old before he fully, fully got rolling. And then the, the Dan, the plot dog, Dan, you know, he was five months old, not even four months old when he started rolling. So, you know, it's, um, I, my attitude has always been to get him out into the woods as much as possible, which is, you know, I'm already doing that with, with, uh, this mic this beagle pup um you know just he's a teeny tiny little guy and short legs <laughs> and still tripping over his own ears and things like that but you know it's just being out there learning how to you know getting used to birds and grouse flying up around him and you know the sound of waters crossing little streams splashing around in puddles you know right. getting stung in the nose by bees and things like that <laughs> you know it's, it's just stuff that he's not going to need to learn later on you know Right. And even uh, driving to get them used to riding in the truck or in the box is a big thing because a lot of dogs will get car sick mm. and then it's an hour before they settle. But when you get to the <laughs> to your hunting spot or your, your training spot, you're you know, they don't they come out of the box a little slow. So, yeah, 
or dehydrate, you know, you don't want to dehydrate them either. Cause a lot of drawers, you know, things right. like that. So oh, exactly. I, do, I do try to get them, you know, I feed them like I've, I work from home a lot. So I'll feed them in my truck on it. You know, they give them treats when they get in the box on my lunch break and stuff like that. Just, it's a, you know, try yeah. to make it a happy spot for them. Cool. Yeah. That that's a great idea. That's a great idea. I've been doing quite a bit of driving with Mike cause I've, I'm headed to a, um, like a big wild hunting show, like wild game hunting show type type of deal over in Sweden next weekend. And I knew I was going to need to bring him with me. Okay. So I've been working on getting him, uh, getting him ready for that. Well, kind of a four or five hour car ride. I think, I think oh, he'll be nice. okay at this point. He's, he's, he's hasn't gotten car sick so far. He does a little bit of screaming the first five minutes, but then he, he settles down pretty quick, thankfully. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. No, there, uh, the, <clears throat> there are so many similarities in how I would start pretty much any dog, regardless of what its ultimate task was going to be. Um, and, you know, and a lot of that is just exposing them to the conditions, exposing them to the, you know, some of the scenarios that they may meet in a you know in a hunting situation or a racing situation or a herding situation you know but just sort of disguising these life lessons as play as much as i can right i had some uh crossover in the with bringing the bird dog on you know so you know i, I kind of set my ways on the hounds for a while there and then that getting that bird dog pup i had i was completely green i had no idea what i was doing so I always joked it. I wanted the dog that knew its name, so I got a bird dog. So at least common <laughs> called, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I get that. What made you get a bird dog apart from the fact that it could uh, you could teach it its name? Yeah, uh, so just running the dogs in the evenings there in the game lands here, and uh, I'm in just west of Harrisburg, but uh, they have a pretty good woodcock migration come through. Sure. And I thought, well, that's wild game that I could get that bird that dog on. And that, you know, went on for a couple of years and it was pretty steady population and, uh, you know, kind of set the hook there to get, I always wanted one. It was just a time thing. So cool. yeah, I thought it was about right time to do it. That's excellent. That's excellent. How has, um, how has the sort of the cor- Corona, the pandemic, how has that affected your ability to finish dogs? Have there been less trials during the pandemic or has it just kind of been something that's continued? It definitely slowed down trialing. Uh, uh, They're starting to pick back up now. A lot of the entry taking and everything's done outside as opposed to in clubhouses just to, you know, try to make it as clean and safe as possible. So that has, you know, transitions things outside. Yeah. It's kind of nice for me. You know, my, I got, I was sent home two years ago to work from home instead of going into the office every day. So sure. (laughs) <laughs> that saved me about an hour or two of driving a day, which correlated to that much more time, you know, for the dogs and right, yeah. Uh, the fa- the farm here, we live on a we have a small dairy goat farm. Okay, uh, that we cool. run. So right. that's excellent. What uh, I was in goats for a little while. What kind of what breed of goats do you are you working with? Yeah, my wife and I we have Nubians, mini Nubians, yep. and Nigerian dwarfs. So we kind of okay. do the the three mixes. My wife has a uh, goat milk soap and lotion business and we do on the farm kind of agritourism stuff as well cool yeah, uh, yeah so my daughter and my son and we're all involved in that it's worked out pretty well especially through covid here you know everybody wants to do something outside 
and that's kind of been a you know a blessing for us as sure. far as the timing of it you know a bad situation but right but, helped kickstart you know, stuff there you got to make the best of a bad situation it's good that you guys <laughs> were able to do that now yeah. right that's that's really interesting what um you say you've got you get quite a few rabbits running through your yard what like describe to me a little bit of the terrain that you live in are you i'm a little bit familiar with pennsylvania but not huge you know not it, not really yeah so we're, it's it's a little hilly you know we're kind of at the uh, off the side of the the Appalachian, appalachians but uh mm-hmm. It's a lot of woodlots, like I like I would explain, like the the game lands that I you know I run at a good bit. We have ten thousand acres five minutes from my house, and probably three or four hundred acres of that is what we call rabbitat. You know, it's uh, yep. that field edges. I lo- I love to hunt and work the dog on edges, you know, because rabbits will use that as a natural barrier coming in and out. So okay, yep. Uh, we hunt a lot of woodlot. I call them woodlots. It's like little blocks between fields you know and that that's kind of the, the areas that we focus on sure as far as hunting with the dogs we do have a, there's a ton of uh big timber you know here um mm-hmm. where the rabbits they don't you know stick to those areas as much but in, in the spring here with the bucks the, the buck rabbits running big you'll get a we call them wood running rabbits and it's fun they'll go out 600 yards on that circle and come back almost like a hare cool we had one of them this morning it worked out pretty good that's cool. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like stuff like that. I, I like, I don't know. I like I, the the big hound person in me likes the the animals that go big. You know, that go wide. I I, I like that. It's um, what I'm interest a little bit interested to see is that you know here a lot of people run um, these small European deer like the roe deer with beagles. Okay, which has worked out pretty well for the for the deer you know we're not able to run them with anything that's over 16 inches at the shoulder and that's based just purely on the the speed and the pressure that that dog's going to be able to put on that that animal the the deer um so the beagles are are not an unusual breed to use uh, for these roe deer and i'm i'm considering what i want to start mike on whether i want to start him on the hair or whether I want to start them on the roe deer, because we have a lot of roe deer here, and they're a lot easier okay. to find than the than the uh, the hare. And I can get that sort of that, you know, the equivalent of a field champion status on them, okay. um, either uh, through hare or through the roe deer. Okay. So th- there's people that do both, like they'll run the same hound on hare or roe deer, or is I imagine that there must be people who do both. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It's most of the people I've talked to so far have not done both. They've done, they've done the one thing or the other thing. You know, they've um, the the people who run them on roe deer tend to also run them on red deer if they've got access to it, which are the like the big red stags and the European kind of elk looking things. Okay. Um, and I don't know anybody off the top of my head that has ah. done. Whoosh. Yeah, pull it together, man. <laughs> um, who has gotten the championship status with both hair and roe deer? I'm sure there's somebody who has, but I don't know of that person. Um, but I would be really interested to hear, to talk to that person, because that's a that's a mighty versatile dog. Right, right. 
Um, is it allowed to run deer there with in Pennsylvania with beagles or with we anything? Can't, no, we can't run deer. No, with with hounds and PA. So I don't think there's many states left where you can. Right, right. I mean, they would be the some of the southern states, I believe. Would, sure. Would be yeah. It. Potentially Tennessee, maybe I feel like potentially. Okay. Might uh, might still allow it, but that could be that could be inaccurate. Yeah, I know in the deep south, I think there's some, but and, and for some reason, you know, I've had a little bit of trouble with dogs running deer, you, mm-hmm. you know, through the years. But I think I know some of it's in the bloodline, but I think a lot of it's just in the opportunity. They're they're on so many rabbits sure. that they just get like that one track mind to where we really don't have many deer runners, you know, right now. Now I'll probably run a deer tonight, but. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you know, but but I also think, you know, having the goats here on the farm, they're part of that Caprine family. I don't know sure. if they get desensitized yeah. or something. That but could they definitely be. Yeah. That would be really right. interesting. That would be a really interesting thing to find out. I would be really yeah. every houndsman on earth would get a, a couple of goats <laughs> if that ended up being the case. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Help maintain oh, the property in the hounds. Oh, it's it's true. Cause yeah, I mean, I had uh, there might be something to that, man. Cause I had I had pack goats, and both of my both of my hounds were more or less roe deer clean, just from the get go. And it wasn't a lack of opportunity. It's just they weren't interested. Okay. And I wonder if it was just based off of the training of getting them to leave the goats alone. It could be. I mean, that's a. Right. I, I never thought about it, but it, 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 it's right. it's, a, it's an interesting theory. Mm-hmm. For sure. Now, a roe deer. How does it pattern when it's you know being ran? Is it like a hare will run big circles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's from what I hear. But like the roe deer, is that more like a straight line, and you're have to you're you yeah. know, trying to cut it off? Well, the like the red deer, they'll just get out of dodge. Okay. You know, they'll just pick a direction. And they'll go. Um, the roe deer are different. I actually, and and it's pure, uh, you know, it's like I said when I was talking to, to Clint Buckwalter, it was, it was, it's inexperience on my part, but um, sometimes I can't tell the difference between a hare and a roe deer when they're running it. Like I need to go in and look to see what they're running because, you know, the hares will do, you know, these, these big, big loops um, without a lot of, with maybe a little bit more zigzagging than the roe deer will do, but the roe deer will do the big loops as well. And it's about the same, like the, the, the difference in size, they overlap each other enough so that I'm not able to distinguish it right off the bat. When I look at it on the Garmin, for example, I'm not able to say like right away that, Oh, this is definitely a hare. Oh, this is definitely a roe deer. Um, and I'm sure that there are things that there are these little nuances that would tell somebody, with much more experience than I have that they, you know, take one look at the Garmin and be like, Oh, I know what this is, but I'm not there yet. There is. So they're, they're similar enough so that I'm not able to figure it out. But, um, it's the, the roe deer. What's, what's interesting about the roe deer is that, you know, they're such small deer They're They really are very small. You know, they're, they're not, they're about the same size as like the, the blacktails over in Alaska or the coos deer um, down way down south or those, uh, what are those little deer in, in um, 
the Maryland, the Sikas? Yeah, or? Sika deers. That's right. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's but yep, you're right, you're on the right track. That's right. Uh, they're about that size. You know, they're they're going to be, you know, a, a real big one's going to be a hundred hundred pounds, maybe. You know, they're not they're not real big, um, but they're incredibly fast. But especially with a dog that makes quite a bit of noise as it's chasing them. Um, if you drop a spitz, like some of these dogs that they use for moose hunting, that stays fairly quiet until it's baying up a, a moose. The roe deer, once those dogs sort of arrive on the scene, the roe deer will just bust out of there at full speed as fast as they can because they can't, they don't know where they've got the dog. But with like a hound, you know, something that's going to open up on the trail, they'll, they'll stay a few hundred yards ahead of it but then just kind of not going any faster than they need to, just kind of puttering along, you know, and especially with some of these real short-legged dogs like the Bassets or the Dachshunds, um, you know, you'll have deer doing big circles at a, you know, a, a slow jog or even a walk. Um, with the Beagles, the Beagles are a little bit faster than the Dachshunds, you know, obviously, and and they're going to be moving a little bit faster, but it does seem like as long as they're as long as they feel confident that they know where that dog is, they're not going to expend more energy than they feel like they need to. But you know the times where, you know, I've seen the times where I've bumped roe deer with, uh, you know, one of these Spitz dogs, the Norwegian Elkhounds or something like that, they're out of there as fast as they possibly can move. So there, it's it's an interesting animal to. It's an interesting animal to run, you know, and I, I think that maybe that is the difference um, between the hare and the roe deer when okay. it's just how that race is going to start, you know, because the hare will, a lot of times they will tend to kind of hunker down and hope that the dog just doesn't see them, doesn't find them. Right. Whereas the roe deer are not going to take that chance. They're not going to stand still and let the dog get in real close. They're They're going to... You know, so you can hear a little bit of a difference in the start there. You know, you, that you don't have that ex- with a hair. You've got that explosive, like sudden scream, and you know, then they're off. It's full blast. You know, a roe deer can, it can, it can be a little bit of a slow burn getting it going. Yeah, but now with hair, I'm not as familiar. But do they come out like we start a lot of pups like at dusk, walking them at night? Yep. You know, because that's when the rabbits are out, you know, yep. is that the same with hair that you would find them more like a nocturnal type? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like when I see them, it's, it's in the evenings. Yeah. Um, oddly more in the evenings than in the mornings. Um, I don't know if that's consistent with other people's experiences. That's just sort of a, an observation of mine is that I, when I've seen them, it's been in the evening. Um, but you know, I'm sure, you know, and I, I that is something that I've noticed because I'm out really early with the fox dogs and I'll see foxes all, you know, frequently, but won't see, won't see the hares. But in the evenings I will. I wonder if that's consistent everywhere, whether it's just kind of a local phenomenon here. Right. I'm not sure. Now the, the breeding on your pup, did you say he's from, was it England or? No, nope. I remember. No, nope. nope. his, um, his father's side is, you know, Norwegian as far back as, okay. you know, seven, six or seven generations. You got to go pretty far before you get something that was brought in from anywhere else. Um, 
his mother is an import from Finland, where they do a lot of they do a lot of hare hunting uh, there, and they and then they do some some hunting with uh, for deer as well. Okay. Um, so I know a little bit more about his father than I do about his mother. Uh, just in t- sort of on paper, I know more about him, but I know I actually know his mother. Um, and like her, like her a lot. She's a she's a great dog that I I have enjoyed. So I've I've known her for a few years, and I've been toying with the idea of a beagle for quite a while. You know, basically, just based on how what good family dogs they are. I grew up with a beagle, right. and uh, you know, could see that the kids weren't connecting the same way with the foxhounds that I did with the beagles or the beagle we had, you know, we didn't hunt or anything, but, you know, and I, I wanted that for the kids to have that, that experience of having that, that dog that was a little bit more on their level. I could see that the long, you know, eight hour hunts that I would do with the hounds, the, the fox hounds was too much for a seven year old and a, you know, a nine year old. It was just, it was, they, it wasn't fun for them. They could do it and they would do it if I asked them to, but I could tell that it was not their deal. Okay. And I wanted to back way off, you know, just same with a pup, you know, I just, I wanted to back off before I kind of killed it for him. So. Yeah. I think that size of the beagle, you know, is a big benefit, you know, just for me being in the house to just even the pattern of, of how they run. So sure. I think that's why my kids enjoy it so much because, uh, you can be part of the chase kind of, you know, you can keep up with, for the most part, you know, you can keep up, see what's happening. You know, you know, I, I do very little looking at my garment. That's probably just because I started running before I could afford a garment. So now that I, but I do have it now and I use it a lot for stats and stuff like that. But you know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I really enjoy staying on top of them. You know, I, I, in a big crowd, you know, I enjoy sitting on the tailgate and letting them hear him run, but you know, I run primarily a lot by myself or with my son and we, we enjoy, you know, we're judging them as, you know, as they're running. So. That's really cool. It's cool that you've got that as something that you're sort of a bonding thing for you and your son who's 13. Is that yeah, right? Brady's 13. My daughter's, uh, she's 11 now. So Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. my sons are, one is seven and one just turned 10 a few days ago. Okay. They're, um, and the 10-year-old is really, really into it. Okay. So he's, uh, he's really excited about the Beagle at this point because I, th- I, I think that he... You know, if, if you asked him, he would say, oh, no, you know, the, the big hounds are no problem whatsoever for me. But, you know, uh, it, it would be his ego talking more than the <laughs> pure honesty there, I think, because we had I mean, we had some, you know, we had some days where like by the end of it, it was like I was way ready to be done myself. And I can't imagine what it was, must have been like for, you know, somebody that took twice as many steps as I did to keep up. That, that's what I hear, like a lot of the, the coon hounds, the podcast I listen to, like just that idea of having to <laughs> walk a couple miles through the woods to a tree. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I'm man enough sometimes, but I do, I do want to definitely do it. Um, and not to say there's been a handful of times, you know, where either the dogs bump a fox or, you know, they'll get in a thicket and they'll hit a rabbit on the other side. And, you know, we have a half hour in, but it, it's rare because, you know, usually they circle and once they hole up, you know, luckily I had a quick hour and a half this morning and I think they jumped the rabbit and they ran 50 minutes and went to hole and clipped them up and 
made it back in time for breakfast before the gotcha. heat. That's cool. That's cool. What have you done anything special like to to get your kids bought into the whole the whole thing? Like that's I think sometimes we, something we houndsmen don't talk enough about is how to get that next generation bought in. How did you like? How did you get your son? How did you introduce him to the hound? You know, so what? B- both right, but both my kids. I tried to make it as fun as possible. So we have a breakfast on the tailgate. We go to the local gas station. They get as much. <laughs> sugar as they want you know when they were young yep and uh we we'd have breakfast while the dogs would run so you know i didn't try to push it on them you know too too much but i always tried to make it fun and just trying to you know gauge when they're not having fun you know maybe an hour's fine you know versus i try to do at least three but you know that can be done tomorrow so i I do try to you know be cognizant and aware of (laughs) they're seven years old and an hour is a pretty good chunk of time for them. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What, um, you know, did, did you get them, do they have their own dogs? Like, do, do they have any dogs that they sort of look at as a little bit their dogs at this point? Or are they still kind of the, the, your dog slash like the, the family dogs? Yeah. So this, this last litter that we kept out of Sadie. And since that was kind of special, she was our first field champion. You know, it took mm-hmm. me, took us, my son and I, seven, what, 17 years to get here, but uh, we finally right. got one. And uh, not that we're a hunter pleasure runner first, you know, like I enjoy field trials, but it's just something fun to do in the off season. We hunt first, but out of this last litter, we kept two females and I let my son pick one. And okay. then, you know, I, I kept the other one. So it's been kind of fun to see which one we get started first and, you know, we can poke at each other there. So sure. that'll be his first, first dog. So cool. That's excellent. Yeah. Right. That's excellent. Wow. That's really cool. It's uh, the beagles are, you know, they're, they're such great family dogs. They're such great. It's such an easily accessible dog for just for a bunch of reasons. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it can be difficult to find you know, big enough tracks of land to run the, the tall hounds, you know, especially when you start getting into sort of more of the urban areas, it, it can be hard to find, you know, you end up having to tone dogs off to avoid property boundaries and things like that, which just is kind of negative for everybody involved. The dogs aren't necessarily going to understand why you toned them off. They might walk away with, you know, having learned the wrong lesson from that tone, you know, and it's the the beagles are so great just because they're 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 small they're easily accessible nobody's going to be afraid of a beagle running up to them you know a big you know a pack of hounds can be terrifying to some people right you know but a you've got to be a pretty big wuss to be afraid of a beagle (laughs) (laughs) that's what i've judged you know thousands of beagles ran with thousands over the years I have yet to see a mean beagle. You know, right, you I mean? still got all and, your toes. It's like <laughs> right, <not a> right. <laughs> and I think that's why they're crossbreeding beagles on everything to get that temperament. You know what I mean? Like it's oh, uh, sure. they're just so yeah. laid back. Oh, uh, they are. And we do yeah. have we have two in the house too. You know, and the other four, you know, they come in and out through my basement. But the two are dedicated house dogs. The other ones, you know, just we rotate them in and out. But that's uh, cool. That, that's something that you would not have told me 15 years ago. That would even crossed my mind, but, uh, I think the bird That's dog, cool. you know, opened some doors there and I thought, right. oh, we'll try it. And I tell you, they do handle a lot better. I like, I'm not saying they're better or worse, but, uh, the ones that yeah, are in the house. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. 
you know, I, it's, it's part of my, people look at me like I'm crazy and I definitely don't think that it's a necessary step, but it's a step that I like to take with every pup that I bring in is, you know, I'm not going to let that pup, you know, sleep on the couch. I'm not going to let it sleep in my bed or anything like that. You know, there's, there's gotta be boundaries, but at the same time, you know, I want that pup. I want that pup's whole world to be me and doing things together with me, like ideally. So, you know, I'll, I'll set up a crate in my bedroom for that pup where they'll spend the first six months sleeping next to the bed, you know, which means that I've got to put up with, you know, whining in the middle of the night to go out and snoring. You know, it seems like every, every pup I've ever had snores like a lumberjack. <laughs> but, um, I, I think that it does do something having them that close to you all the time does do something to their biddability, does do something to that sort of uh, the, your connection with them and their willingness to, to have you be the focus to a large enough degree that they're going to be willing to, to sort of accept corrections without it needing to be necessarily a, a, a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. We crate train all of ours now as well. You know, it's a pain for those first, you know, few weeks, but it is. once they get it, they get it. And it's, it's so nice if you're traveling, you know, especially if you're, you know, on a hunting trip, they can, you know, they behave, they're in their box, they're not whiny, you, you right. know, and they, they, they feel comfortable. So it's less stress for them when, you know, they are, it is time to run at a field trial or, or go hunting. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely, definitely, I can see that as a, you know, big benefit there. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, like, keep dogs outside too. Like as long as you're, you know, interacting and, you know, they're well-fed, well-housed, you know, I'm happy, but that's just something we chose to do differently, you know, from from when I started. Uh, So we we try to incorporate all that into, you know, as part of the training now. Right, right, right. Yep. I think that, you know, it's, there's something to be said for it. You know, the sled dogs, they always lived outside. I never had them inside, you know, or I, I mean, I would house train them in case, you know, I, I would housebreak them a lot of them just because, you know, especially when, if you got a dog that needs a little bit of extra attention, you know, is sick or injured or whatever, it's awfully nice to be able to bring it into the house without it just being total chaos. Um, but you know, they never, they never spent a bunch of time in the house, you know, they never slept in the house, that kind of thing. And, um, I have not regretted changing that with the hounds that they spend a lot more time in the house than, uh, than my sled dogs ever did. Um, and you know, realistically, I think if I was ever to get back into sled dogs, which it won't happen, but if I ever was, um, you know, it, it, I would seriously consider doing it a little bit differently just in terms of the, you get so much back having that connection with them. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's that sled dog stuff. You know, I, I just love dogs in general, but the, the sled dog stuff is fascinating. And all the crosses that they do with the Alaskan mm. Husky, you know, I could just uh, read that stuff all day. Like I'm a pedigree junkie, so it doesn't really oh, matter what it is. Boy. So I I have not gotten to that point where I am with the hounds yet. I'm still just a pleasure hunter to the point where if it's like if the grandparents functioned really well, the parents are good. I'm going to be happy get trying a pup from that litter. But the sled dogs, I mean, it was, I went deep into that stuff. I could point out dogs from different lines just based on how they looked. 
You know, exactly. I, I know. It'd be like, what is that dog's father's name? Oh, that's the son of Longbine, who's, you know, and just like I could go back four or five, six generations, you know, to the point where it, like people fell out of the conversation really early on. And I would just <laughs> right. prattle along about, you know, the connections that these dogs had, completely oblivious to the fact that nobody was listening to me anymore. But it was just endlessly fascinating to me. Right. Um, and you, you'll, you'll, you'll find certain guys that, you know, are as dedicated, like even some of my mentors that they're not just, they're not like, it doesn't mean much to, it means much to them, but they just, they'd have to look at a pedigree to follow it. You, you know, sure. where some, right. some people just pick up on it and it it is fun. As you said, I'm sure where you're at with your sled dogs, like when I'm hunting with dogs, like I've seen five or six generations, you, you know, run and, and it, just those sure. qualities that come through over that. It, it, that's, that's, it's so neat to see. Well, the genetic aspect is something that is is absolutely. It, it's funny. It's I, I sometimes feel like the genetic aspect of things is completely overrated, in the sense that of course it's important, but the the training, the overall daily care, like that's going to be more important. Ultimately, I believe. However, I don't think you can underestimate how important the genetics are. You know, it, it's like. It's 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 one of those sort of catch twenty twos where, you know, if you don't have the genetics, the best care, the best training, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you don't have, if you do have the genetics and not the care and the training, you're not going to get anywhere either. I've seen some superbly bred dogs that you know could barely stand up. Right, right. So, it, and like to get in the whole line breeding thing, like we we do try to do a. It is, we do line breeding, but it's not very close. Nothing against doing close line breeding. I just haven't had to do it, you know. Uh, but I've seen one-off breedings of complete outcrosses that <laughs> burn up the trial circuit and they're, you know, hard-going hunting dogs. And I've yeah. seen line-bred dogs. It's it, And I think in the Beagle world, there's so many good bloodlines right now. Yeah. That And a lot of them are comparable. A lot of them have a lot of the same quality. So they're a lot of the foundations different, but the characteristics that are coming through are very similar. Sure. So you can cross in and out and kind of, you know, get what you're looking for out of that cross. So I think that's just where we're at, you know, even over the short 15, 20 years that I've been into it, I've seen the quality of dog just has really gotten better. And that's um, the truth. Yeah. I think in pretty much every, in pretty much every arena, um, that's been my experience. You know, the, the quality of your average, you know, your average starting border collie in these trials is just flabbergasting to me, you know, compared to what it was 25 years ago. Um, you know, and the same with the sled dogs, the quality of the, your average sled dog now um, is, there's, there's no comparison. You know, I, I had a, I have a full kennel of dogs that were every single one of those dogs is that it is a higher quality dog than my best dogs were, you know, 20 years ago. Um, it's, it's such an interesting, I, I think in some ways it's, it, that's been one of the benefits of social media and the internet and sort of ease of access to information that you kind of got those, you know, you're able to see those results. You're able to see, you know, the, the pedigrees and things like that instantly you know, and, and are able to really follow and really kind of flesh out your knowledge of a line and the knowledge of a specific dog really, really effectively in a way that I think it was very difficult to do 
um, in the past. Right, right. For, for sure. And another thing that I've learned, you know, and I don't consider myself a big trialer. You know, I trial, I probably judge more than I trial just mm-hmm. because the demand, it, it takes a lot to get a dog in shape at that level. And, you know, with working and everything, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to have a dog at the top <laughs> all the time, but sure. just, you know, with that COVID and working from home, we had some, some extra time, you know, to really focus mm. on finishing a dog and it, what separates a good dog from a great dog, it, you know, isn't very much is what I've learned. You, you know, it's, true. it comes down to conditioning. It comes down to diet. Mm-hmm. the routine like the it's like anything else you know like when you get into something the, you can learn that first 80 percent of something pretty quick it's oh, that yeah. last tw- last 20 percent that is going to take you forever oh you'll you'll, spend and you'll never figure life. it out yeah you'll spend the rest of your life working on that last little bit and i mean that's and that's what i find i'm really looking forward to getting to that point with the hounds because that's where i was with the huskies where yeah, that's, had, that's super interesting, right? You know, it's so interesting. I, I loved getting to that fine, fine tuning point of view. You know, I knew how to hook up a team. I knew how to feed them. I knew how to train them, you know, to that sort of superficial, yes, I'm capable of doing these things. But that fine tuning, man, that got interesting. That got so interesting. And I'm really looking forward to getting to that point with the hounds, which I'm not even close to at this point. Uh, just kind of, you know, I'm still learning that sort of 80% sort of basic, you know, painting with broad, with a broad brush, you know. Right. But you bring a whole new perspective and that might change, you, you know, with the, your background. That's, that's right. Yeah. That, I mean, I've that, got a lot of a crossover. Yeah. And that's been, re- that actually has been really interesting is that I've gained, I, I gained a lot very cheaply based on my experience with the sled dogs, you know, so I had issues that some of my friends who were very experienced houndsmen were having. I have not had because I've been able to avoid some of the mistakes that they've made based off of my experience with the sled dogs, you know, for example, conditioning, you know, how to really condition a dog to be ready to do those, you know, big long hunts that are going to, you know, drag out over multiple days, that kind of a thing without having that dog come back and be so tired that it won't eat or so tired that it won't drink or, you know, with his feet roughed up or something like that. That's not been a problem for me because it was all we thought about with the sled dogs. You know, it's, it's the, what do we need to do to give this dog the ability to keep doing this day after day, after day, after day. And, you know, some of it was breeding, certainly, but a lot of it was just how we took care of them and how we conditioned them, which I've applied to the hounds. And um, that gave that made my life much, much easier. Um, But then, you know, there are some very basic things that it seems like the houndsmen have a really, you know, sort of innate sense uh, that, you know, the 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 mushing people don't like the, the dog mushers don't necessarily. Or not all, at least I, I'll speak for myself. I don't. You know, that ability right. to, what I respect with the houndsman is just that ability to kind of let go. You know, just just sort of that release, that moment of release. You know, with the sled dogs, you're always tied to them, basically. They're always attached. To, you're in control. And you can look on a map and just trace out where you're going to go. And you know that's, that's where you're going to go. There's no, you know. And even if they, even if you lose them, they're going to still be on the trail. 
it's not like they're going to break off of a well-groomed trail and start busting off into the loose snow by themselves. It's just, it's just not going to happen, you know, but with the, that took, that was the hardest adjustment for me was taking that step from always being in total control of my dogs to being willing to just like, I remember the first time I was going to let that buzz dog go or the Virpi dog go even. It's just this moment of like, this feels so wrong. (laughs) <laughs> because you would never ever do it with a husky you know you would never ever do it with a sled dog just like drop them out of the truck point them in the direction you wanted them to go and let them go it's like this <laughs> that would be insane <laughs> you know? I, I remember when my wife and i were you know we were dating and I, I, she was like you how are you going to get them all back you know this was even before i had bells in their collars right my ears my ears ringed at work for years you know from those bells i heard them nonstop. right but it, it's it's organized chaos it's like nope they'll you know we'll get them back it's uh it, it's just that repetition and you just i guess getting a comfort level with it and that that was for me you know casting those i remember that first hunting year with the gray dog and daisy and you know, that fear of losing them and, you know, mm. you know but you, you get smart over the years. You know, I try to hunt big tracks of land. I love big tracks. So yeah. I don't like, if I don't have to, I don't, I won't run a little pocket of, you know, 10 acres unless somebody wants to see the dog work, you know, or somebody, you know, a landowner wants to see it. But I, I like getting out in the middle of nowhere, sure. no roads. You know, the only thing I might have to worry about is a porcupine or something like that. But, uh, yeah. Past that, you know, it's just that release and that stress level goes way down. And with the garments now, it's, you know, you know, just that security blanket. Sure. Yeah. It's, it makes such a huge difference. It really does. The, uh, the garments are just, it's a sort of still strikes me as this sort of miraculous thing, you know, and I have no experience from, you know, it's not like I was running hounds before, you know, before the garments were available, but it's still, it's just like, just seeing the difference, the the evolution from, you know, I had like the original, what were they, like the DC-30s? Oh, the big one, right. Yeah, so yeah, we were on minis. Yeah. yeah, like I had the I had the big old ones, that, and even that seemed miraculous to me. But now, you know, all of the bells and whistles, it's just amazing to me. It's unbelievable. Right. It's, it's, that, it's, in a, it, and be. it's like in a good and a bad way. It's like, it's. It, it's a it's miraculous to me but at the same time it's a little bit like uh, spending a little <laughs> bit too much time looking at the screen well that's what i so i have a i don't look at my receiver i have the it connects to my watch you know so i just see arrows yep. so i can see so i try never to i only look at that receiver for stats just because i where i'm running there are no roads unless i hit like a fox sometimes or something like that so right. that, that's kind of but I think because I wasn't used to it before, um, and uh, you know, you do some club running too. The only time you're looking for it when the rabbit goes in a hole, you know, you have that security of a fence too at times. Right, so just, right. Uh, changes. No, that there. makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, for for me here, I I'm right up against a national park. Okay. And I'm allowed to hunt in there. It's it's um it's a public land. It's public land, but where I am, I have good road access. But I know that there's a certain point that if they cross that road, a specific road, if they cross that road, it's going to be 150 miles before I'm able to get to another road to cut them off. They're gone. And with the Beagles, I'm not as worried about it. But like with the plot, <laughs> he did that to me. He, I, he 
ditched over that road when I didn't expect him to, and he was gone for days. Wow. Days and days. I never, ever thought I was going to get him back. And uh, then, you know, the Garmin was just an absolute godsend. Most of the most of the time with some of these other hounds, like if I, if I look at the hunt again afterwards, it's like, would I have needed the Garmin during that hunt? Probably not. You know, but it's that one out of every 30 times. Right. You're just so glad you got it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, well, what's, uh, what's the future for you? Like, what's your, what's your plans? What are your goals? What do you, what do you got? What do you got coming up? So kind of learning from my, not mistakes, but my shortcomings with Daisy, I'm trying to be smart about a breeding program. Mm-hmm. So that's really using Sadie as more of the foundation. And she's actually a mixture of that old Nipotis blood in her, but like, you know, not from Daisy directly, but it's some similar blood from mm-hmm. behind her with some, you know, what we call flat Creek lines, really being smart okay. about line, lining up some males for, to, uh, to get some pups and get a good base. You know, I, she has kind of what uh, everything that I'm looking for. Like if you were described, you know, what I was looking for, she's pretty close to it. So I know, hmm. I got what I want. It's she's she's got crazy hunt and desire, you know. But most of all, she has the brains. And like, and it really it comes right. down to you know, if they don't have the brains, you know, they can have hunt and desire. They can have line control. But uh, she's got the brains. She's got the hunt. She's got the control, and she has pretty good confirmation. She's a kind of a feisty looking little thing. She doesn't. <laughs> my wife thinks she looks like a terrier, but okay. trying to add some confirmation <laughs> into it, but she's like kind of light bones and uh but that really she has that quality of the longer she runs the harder she runs the better she gets and that that's that's hard hard to get i haven't had many that are like that that's a good quality and it's a fun one too because they 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 react very well to situations you know going Mm. into to certain things sure is there a like on the trialing thing a little bit again is there any kind of requirement for bench shows the akc there there is bench trial shows they have options to do field you know there's a field and a show side uh there i guess i don't have enough background on knowing if there's not like a show title for that piece of it it's just uh a field you know there is this complete separate akc show champion events that you know Mm -hmm. we just certain trials that they will choose to have a show and, okay. um, and sometimes we'll do like a grand final winner. So it'd be a total of the combined points in the field. And then, you know, if the dog plays second in the field, first in the show, it might have enough points to be the grand final winner. Sure. It, it is something that I'm really trying to f- focus on because I, confirmation, I think I'd like to see my dogs be a little better. Um, okay. And I'd like to have size in them too. So actually the, the mail I sent you a video of, he's kind of, a completely separate little bit of blood that I'm trying to introduce into the kennel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so he's is he one of yours, a male you've brought in to your kennel? He he has one of mine. Yeah. So I, yeah. Over the years, I'll bring a male in f- from the outside, <laughs> and I like to see his mannerisms. I'm, you know, I'm. I don't know. I just I I enjoy seeing, just not breeding to a dog, but knowing kind of its background and everything and how sure. it, you know. Is he whiny in the kennel? Little things like that that would kind of steer me away. 
Sure. Would you then breed to that specific dog or would you would you use that dog as sort of a a measuring stick for that line? So that's my plan is I want to run him till the male that I'm talking about. I want to run him to see how he finishes out till around maybe two years old. Okay. Yep. And then I have three females right now that I would consider to breed to him. Okay. Uh, that I'm just kind of thinking about, and then it'll be an outcross, but then hopefully I could bring it back into, you know, some of my other line. Yep. Yep. That's really interesting. Wow. And he's from a, an interesting uh, kennel. The guy's been breeding for 40 years wow. and he actually crosses show champions in with, uh, he blends them on, on field champions and he's done these outcrosses and, and it's just really cool. And he, he's big on the breeding side and the pedigree. And you can look back, like when you see his dogs, it, it it's just all his kennel the whole way back, you, you know, and cool. it's like a history, it's a history lesson. It's really neat. That's really cool. I love, I love guys like that. There's not many of them left anymore, unfortunately. And, and he, he has a, it's beautiful setup, you know, it's a, it's neat. So the male, he, he, he's a little more, has a little more drive than my dogs have. When I say drive, I mean like speed, like he's not as close, mm-hmm. but he can carry the line for a long time, you know? So there's like a balancing act there. Sure. I guess that's my, my breeding program. I'm trying not to focus on one thing as much, but I'm trying to bring all comes back to balance. Right. So that's what okay. I'm trying to, you know, not get too focused on one area, but maintain the qualities you know, that, that, that are important to me and to have a, a pack that works together as well. Sure. 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 Oh, that sounds yeah. good, man. That's uh, I wish you the best of luck with that. That it's, ex- it's exciting. It's, it's, you're, you're at that point of fine, that fine tuning stuff that I find so interesting. That's exciting stuff. That is exciting. Oh, thank you. Stuff. I know I, I got a ways to go to and just based on, you know, a lot of my mentors, but you, you know, it is funny. It's, they're not funny, but more fun just to get to that point where, you know, it's, it, it's environmental, it's conditional, you know, all these different factors that go into the success of a dog. And it, it's just the fun to tune that piece of it. Sure. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, that's exciting. Well, we're up over, we're approaching an hour and a half here. So I think we might, uh, might call it a, call it an evening, but it was very, very cool to talk to you, Brian. I really appreciate you coming on, especially on relatively short notice here. Uh, no, I pr- appreciate it, Bear. Thank you for having me, and uh, always fun. To, happy to talk beagles. So. Yeah, anytime. It was. Uh, it's always fun to talk beagles, and let's. Uh, yeah, let's touch base again when you've done when you've done your breeding. I'd be really interested to hear what those pups, what uh, what that male turns into, and stuff like that. Yeah, Here certainly. Finishes into. We'll do. All right, man. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Man, I love that sound.